Hello and welcome to the Green Book Commentaries. I'm Dr. Arthur Plessa. Episode 10, The Electricity of Life. We continue from the previous episode with more quotations and references to the medical literature in regards to understanding human energy. Since we have a great deal of material to cover, I won't waste any time. We begin our reading from volume 25, page 76. Animal Electricity, a phenomenon that did much to awaken our early investigations of electricity, is still of great interest to biologists. By H. B. Steinbach. If you were to collect two dozen frogs and connect them in series, running a wire from the inside of the skin of each to the outside of the skin of the next, you could measure between the ends of the amphibian chain a voltage equal to that of a flashlight battery. In 1792, experiments with frogs started a vigorous scientific controversy. Out of the controversy came the electric battery which made possible the control and study of electricity at our present ability to harness its subtle power. In a way, Frog started it all. The controversy of 1792 was deceptively simple. Was the electricity that made a frog's leg twitch produced by the frog, or by metals connecting the parts of the frog? Luigi Galvani was professor of anatomy at the University of Bologna and the proud, po proud possessor of an electrical machine, a device of the day for producing discharges of static electricity by rubbing glass or other substances with suitable materials. It was perhaps natural to a biologist laboratory should be equipped with an electrical machine. Throughout most of the 18th century, the curious phenomenon of electricity had been thought to have something to do with life. The static machine was just about the only reliable source of electricity in Galvani's time, and it could develop only brief discharges. Before Galvani began his experiments with animal electricity, he spent much time studying the reactions of freshly prepared animal tissues. Its principal subjects were the nerves and muscles of the frog's hind legs, a preparation now familiar to college biology students. The animal was killed and eviscerated, and the upper half of its body was removed so that its legs dangled from a segment of spinal column. When the nerves of the legs were pinched or otherwise irritated, the muscles contracted. Galvani reported many of these observations in 1777, and it was apparently at that time, at this time, that electrical phenomena first engaged his attention. Galvani's notes record that freshly prepared frog's legs were seen to contract when the electrical machine sparked. Further observations show that the contractions did not occur every time the machine sparked, but only when the metal scalpel used for dissection was touching a nerve. Electricity fed into the nerve by the metal was vitalizing the frog's legs, an observation that fitted in perfectly with 
the idea that electricity was closely related to life. It was during this period that Galvani made an observation, which led him to announce that not only the electrical machine and the storm cloud, but also living matter produced electricity. His unusual manner of preparing frog's legs was to fasten a copper hook in the severed spinal column and suspend the whole preparation on an iron stand. He noted that when a frog's moist feet touched the base of the stand, the legs contracted. The reaction was in every way similar to that observed on the application of electricity, yet only the frog's legs and the stand were present. Galvani soon concluded that the living substance produced its own electricity. So startling and so revolutionary was his conclusion that he did not publish his monograph, De Fidibus Electricitatis in Motu Musculari, until 1791. The loop of wire and a frog muscle were mounted inside the tube in such a way that the nerve attached to the muscle hung down through the loop and touched its inner surface. When the copper rod was passed up through the loop to touch the nerve, the muscle contracted. Galvani explained his results by saying that the frog preparation was the source of two different electricities, positive and negative, and that contraction was the result of connecting two parts, nerve and muscle, through an arc of two metals. Finally, a student performed an experiment that Galvani thought settled the question. When the muscle was abraded slightly, it could be made to contract by touching the nerve to the injury without any artificial arc at all. So far as the original experiments were concerned, however, both Galvani and Volta were partly right. Electrical forces do arise at the junctions of the unlike of unlike metals, and living cells do produce electricity. The production of electricity by living things was independently established at about the same time as Galvani's frog experiments. Faraday and others had already shown that the discharge of the electrical eel could cause physiological effects such as the stimulation of frog's legs. Faraday also considered the immunity of the fish to its own shocks and investigated the distribution of the shock in the surrounding water. In all the electrical experiments of the period, the frog remained important, not as a source of electricity, but as a detector. The muscle-nerve preparations were more sensitive than the best electroscopes, which were more sensitive than the best galvanometers. But what of the mechanism by which living cells generate electricity? Many able men since Galvani have labored to explain it, and they have produced little more than a series of descriptions of electrical behavior. This is not due to lack of effort or brains on the part of the workers. The ubiquity of electrical potential differences in living things has a formal explanation and the basic fact that protoplasm differs in salt compositions from the fluids of its environment.
the 19th century German physiologist E.H. Du Bois-Raymond, one who worked long and well in the attempt to explain animal electricity, came to the conclusion that it must originate in the arrangement of electrically charged units at the boundary between protoplasm and environment. Later, the term ion was substituted for charged unit, but the basic idea remained the same. The correlation between the orientation of charged units and the ability of cells to generate electricity cannot be doubted. If a cell were electrically neutral, there would be something wrong with it. The reason for our ignorance of how living things produce electricity probably resides in the fact that electrical potential differences merely reflect that the cell is living. Every living cell has a discrete boundary which separates its protoplasm from materials that are quantitatively different. Since protoplasm is an electrolytic system, this necessarily means differences in electrical potential. Animal electricity will be explained when life is explained, which may not be for some time. The lack of fundamental explanation, however, does not detract from the need for further investigations, nor does it depreciate the practical value of measurements of animal electricity. The phenomenon finds useful applications in the electrocardiograph and the electroencephalograph, powerful tools in medicine and research. Many phenomena of animal electricity other than those of heart and brain can also be measured. We may expect progress along the lines first plotted by Joseph Erlanger of Washington University and Herbert Gasser of the Rockefeller Institute, who applied the cathode ray tube to the study of electrical variations accompanying the nerve impulse. The first studies of animal electricity should be remembered in these days of specialized investigation. A list of those working on the problem from 1700 to 1900 would be a list of outstanding biologists, mathematicians, chemists, physiologists, and philosophers. Ideas flowed freely. Conclusions were defended stoutly and in public. Men tended to be scientists and philosophers, and not members of departments of zoology or physics. The scientific papers of the past 50 years are in the main only understood by specialists. Fortunately, biology shows signs of again becoming a common ground for all kinds of scholars. Physicists have begun to write more books about biological phenomena, and biologists appear in programs of physical and chemical studies. The specialized language of each cult is a hindrance. So is the de departmental habit of our universities. Scientific American, February 1950. H.B. Steinbach, Professor of Zoology, at University of Minnesota. Comments. Throughout quoted article, 
this investigator introduces distinction between frog's legs muscles and living things, living cells, in living things. The reason for our ignorance of how living things produce electricity merely reflects the, that the cell is living. Animal electricity will be explained when life is explained, which may not be for some time, etc. Animal electricity has long been known. Electricity is energy, power, force capable of setting matter into motion. Animal electricity is a misnomer, but for want of a better name, it has been so called by physicists, physiologists, and biologists. Failure to recognize, refusal to admit, affirming denial, not admitting, and denying the unknown factor of spirit, soul, ego, personality, innate intelligence, which is intelligent energy, power, force. They place animal electricity and electricity on a physical par to equal the other. Failure to recognize, refusal to admit, Affirming denial, not admitting intellectual abstract factor, does not rule it out of being a fact. Innate intelligence is controlling factor of human mental impulse or guiding nerve force supply. It is intelligent, judgment, discrimination, adaptive, changing factor from one kind of crude activity or moment of intelligent direction of matter. It and it alone adapts hot to cool, cool to hot, right from wrong, consciousness, good from bad, memory, thinking, ideas and ideals, constructive from destructive activities, life-giving from death-taking, differing qualities between living, dying, and dead matter. It is this intelligence which has been and still is overlooked as the great factor in difference between phenomena of stipulated muscular contraction in a dead, in a dead frog's legs by an electrical stimulus and the rhythmic coordinated movements of one living muscle in tune with another, or all of them combined in the entire body of any living composite organized body coordinated with their comparative contractions and relaxations, and all total musculature, organs, viscera, internal and external, which makes it a breathing, digestive, secretive, excretive, eliminative, reproductive, thinking instrument, directed, controlled, and governed by an intellectual power greater than a dead frog muscle by itself. Further Studies of Energy In previous pages, the mooted energy question, we quoted two authorities. One denies any specific vital energy, another affirms it. In chapter under the sympathetic nervous system and reflex action, we mentioned Kreil, Speransky, Morat. To this we add Alexis Carell, 
we shall quote sections insofar as such have a direct bearing upon the purpose of researching the unknown man, pointing the way to proof of the chiropractic principle and its application to proving there is an energy and that it does have a direct bearing upon cause of dis-ease and its correction. There are three breakdown analytical phases of this problem of living matter. One, matter. Two, energy which moves matter. Three, intelligence that directs motion of energy that moves matter. Kirk denies the existence of human energy. Kreil presents the theory of existence of electrical potential. Chiropractic goes one step further, admits existence of matter, energy, and of intelligence. Watch the struggling of the minds as they present evidence. How? Once in a while, Kreil gets up to the very edge, then backs down, backs away from making the third step. We insert a glossary of terms used by some of these authors to assist the reader in knowing meanings of certain infrequently used terms. Authority. Who is Kreil? Each profession has authorities, pro and con. Authorities are those who rank high in the estimation of their members, even though they disagree vitally on opposite issues. An authority is one who has had long experience and opportunity to research with logic, reason, and factual data and evidence, who pieces it together and, because thereof, presents it to his colleagues to gain their respect and admiration for original work. It is our purpose to quote medical authorities only as such quotations prove they are breaking away from old medical concepts and are breaking into a new concept which is closely allied to the chiropractic principle. Such an authority is Kreil. However, the value of his opinions depends upon his standing in his profession. We quote from time. August 30, 1926. The more alert of the Cleveland citizenry know that Dr. George Washington Kreil is one of the great men of surgery. They know that his method of blocking nerves to prevent the shock of, op of operations, a noci association, is as great a landmark in medicine as the first application of anesthetics. That he has improved the method of transfusing blood that he is a world authority on goiter, that at his Cleveland clinic they may get a physical examination of scholarly exactitude. Very few know that he and his associates have performed 2,670 experiments on animals, including man, and made countless observations while ever searching for some explanation of what life really is. They have decided that life is an electric phenomenon. Such facts pertinent to a conception of life as an electrical phenomenon. Dr. Kreil, with the editorial aid of his laboratory co-worker, Amy F. W. Rowland, has collated in his book, A Bipolar Theory of Living Processes, just issued by Macmillions.
His thesis is far from dogmatic. We concede that our thesis has not been fully proven. Final proof is lacking regarding practically every point. We concede that the bipolar theory would fare to explain living processes if any other form of energy than electrical energy could be proved to be adopted to construct and operate an organism, which is identical with or analogous to that of the human organism. The metaphysical and the religious thoughts which this electric conception of life arouses, Dr. Kreil leaves to others. We do not know what life is, but we do know that life is certainly a physical property, a behavior of a colloidal micella, grain, of a particular constitution. Definitions Bipolar, having two poles, as a bipolar dynamo. In anatomy, said especially of cells running out into a process of each end. Dielectric, pertaining to or possessing the property of transmitting electric force by a process different from conduction, as in the phenomena of induction, non-conducting, a dielectric substance, an insulator. Nucleus, a kernel, nut, Kernel, as, a, as of a nut or seed, a central mass, part, or point about which matter is gathered or concentrated, or to which accretion is made. The central or focal portion, kernel, point of concentration, focus, core, a mass of gray matter, or group of nerve cells in central nervous system, especially in the brain. Cytoplasm, the watery ground substance of the protoplasm, as opposed to the granular contents. Later, the entire protoplasm, now the protoplasm of the cell exclusive of the nucleus. Electrolyte, a compound decomposable or subjected to decomposition by an electric current. Electrolytes in solution, especially aqueous solution, conduct the current. According to the electrolytic theory, this is explained by their disassociation into ions. Salts, as a rule, dis dissociate into various degrees. Other substances do not conduct the current and are called non-electrolytes. Syncytial, relating to a syncytium, formed of a multi-nucleated protoplasmic mass without apparent division into cells. Synapse, synapsis, the gathering of the chromatin into a tangled skein at one side of the nucleus during the prophase of heterotypical division of the nucleus of a sex cell, forming the union of chromosomes in pairs thereby affecting the reduction of chromosomes. The close approximation of, or contact between, the process of different neurons. Hyperchromatism, excessive pigmentation, unusual intensity of color. Mitotic, relating to or marked by mitosis. Mitosis. Karyosinesis, Indirect nuclear division, the usual process of cell reproduction, 
gametogenetic, the process of cell division characteristic of the ovum after union with the spermatozoan, in which the number of of chromosomes in each of the conjugating cells is reduced by one-half in order to preserve the impregnated ovum, the number proper to the species. Were it not for this reduction of the chromosomes in these conjugating cells, the, no, the number of chromosomes in the zygote would be 32 in t- instead of 16. Label. Unsteady, not fixed, noting certain ca- constituents of serum which are readily destroyed by keeping by subjecting to slight degrees of heat, etc. And two, an electrode which is kept moving over the surface during the passage of an electric current. Elements, tissue cells, as of epithelium, connective tissue, etc., which continue to multiply by mitosis during the life of the individual. Catalytic, relating to the catalysis. Catalysis. Chemical decomposition induced by the presence of a body, which either takes no part in it in the reaction or is restored to its original state at the end of the process. Lipin, a comprehensive term including lipoids, soaps, neutral fats, and fatty acids. Immiscibility, immiscible, incapable of mixing as oil and water, for example. Syncytium, a multinucleated protoplasmic mass, seemingly an aggregation of several cells, but without any perceptible cell outlines. A nucleated protoplasmic membrane without cell outlines, lining the blood lacunae of the placenta, placental plasmodium. In quoting authors, we shall name book, year of publication, publisher. Under each quotation shall give page where such can be found. The reader may then go to that book, verify the quotation is justifiably quoted in relation to the subject. A Bipolar Theory of Living Processes by George W. Cryle Edited by Amy F. Rowland Published by Macmillan Company New York, 1926. When I was a student in medical school, I came for the first time in contact with a dramatic dramatic picture of failing bodily energies and death. The patient was young and strong. Every organ of his body was sound. He had lost but little blood, although both legs had been crushed by a locomotive. As I watched him slowly sink into death, the mental and physical prostration the, shr- the shrunken, pallid face, the cold sweating skin, the fading pulse fixed the picture in my mind. Autopsy revealed no lesion in any vital organ. Immediately, I planned a research for the purpose of attempting to find what essential mechanism had failed. As I had watched the pulse fading so inevitably, I thought that death was due to the want of circulation as the result of heart failure. But what had caused the heart to fail? It was not hemorrhage, but it appeared to me that failure of the circulation, to whatever it was due, must have been the primary cause of death, and this belief directed the course of my initial studies. After futile experiments in an 
improvised laboratory in Cleveland, I was fortunate enough to secure an opportunity in 1895 to pursue this research in the University College of London under the direction of Sir Victor Horsley. Since that time, this study has proceeded without interruption in London, in Cleveland, in war hospitals in France, at the Western Reserve University Medical School, at Lakeside Hospital, and in the research laboratories of the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. During this long search for the underlying causes of fatigue, exhaustion, and death, data were, data were accumulated, which made it apparent that to understand the nature of exhaustion and death, it was necessary first to understand the nature of life itself. The research therefore turned from a study of the nature of death to a study of the nature of life. In the progress of these studies, there have been four principal stages. According to, these, to this conception, the cells of the organism would be electric cells, in which the comparatively acid nucleus would be the positive pole, and the comparatively alkaline cytoplasm the negative pole. At this point, therefore, we began to consider the organism as a bipolar mechanism and to direct our researches into the field of biophysics. It remained to discover how this vital potential is maintained, and we assumed that the potential was due to oxidation, and that in turn, the electric potential within the cell was the physical catalyst that governed oxidation. This assumption led us to abandon physiological, chemical, and microscopical, microscopical methods of attack upon our problem, and to turn to physics and hope that, by the application of physical methods, we might identify the physical laws in accordance with which the organism is operated. Accordingly, in 1917, in collaboration with G. B. O'Beer, Amy F. Rowland, and Helen Hosmer. A series of researches was initiated which led to the establishment of a permanent biophysical laboratory in which the bipolar theory has been subjugated to biophysical tests. If the organism is operated by electricity, one would expect that the cells would be adapted for the accumulation of electric charges. That this is the case has in turn been shown in our biophysical laboratory by Hugo Frick. Following the lead suggested by these findings, the organism has been studied as a whole to secure evidence as to the evidence of a part of highest and a part of lowest potential and of electric currents adapted to the vital processes of the organism. Finally, our findings from our initial study to the present have been scrutinized and correlated for the establishment of a premise which would bridge the gap between the living and the non-living and suggest a physical line of ascent from the atom to man. Any theory of the nature of life must account not only for the common fundamental phenomena in life in all forms of living beings from the simplest to the most complex, but it also must identify the fundamental form of energy to which the reactions of life can ultimately be traced. It must identify, identify a uniform pattern or plan for the transformation 
and utilization of energy. It must account for the necessity for such ever-present characteristics as the acid-alkaline balance, the lipoid films, the omnipresent electrolytes. It must show why a continuous supply of oxygen and continuous oxidation are necessary. It must show the mechanism of stimulation and of specific response to stimulation. It must account not only for reproduction, but also for the transmission of acquired characteristics. It must identify the operation of the unicellular and of the multicellular organism with the operation of protoplasm itself. It must show the mechanism of the creation of living matter, protoplasm, from the energy and matter of the environment. It is obviously beyond the present scope of human knowledge to meet all these requirements. It is feasible, however, to present a theory which appears at least to point to a reasonable explanation for the essential characteristics of living organisms and of the phenomena of life itself. Matthews has stated that the difference between the living and the lifeless is a difference in the energy content of the molecules. The difference between the reactive molecules of protoplasm and the same unreactive molecules outside of protoplasm is a different is a difference in energy content. The various chemical and physical powers of protoplasm, which so strikingly differentiate it from the lifeless, are due to the increase in the energy content of the molecules. Living matter contains molecules, having a high content of energy, and capable of passing to a more stable, dead form, in which they contain less energy. The central fact regarding living organisms, then, is that they are transformers of energy, and that they must be operated by means of one or more of the following six forms of energy. Heat, gravitation, intermolecular forces, chemical energy, electric energy. It is obvious that the organism of a rabbit, for example, is not operated by heat energy, nor by light energy, nor by gravitational forces, nor by surface energy. It follows that the probable driving force of living organisms must be either electrical or chemical energy, or a combination of both. We therefore propose the theory that living organisms are bipolar electric mechanisms. If this theory is tenable, it must meet the following requirements. One, that electricity is a constant phenomenon of living processes. This has long been known. Two, that the application of electricity to the muscles or glands or to their nerve supply will cause them to perform their natural functions. This is a basic fact which is universally accepted by physiologists. 3. That the materials of which animals are constructed are specifically adapted to electrical processes. Certain generally known facts regarding the principal constituents of the body will be cited and new evidence submitted. 4. That in structure and function, 
the unit cells with, which drive the organism not only are adapted to fabricate, to store, and to discharge electricity, but that this is true also of the protoplasm itself. Certain generally accepted facts and certain new evidence which tend to establish this requirement will be cited. 5. That the organism as a whole is a bipolar electric mechanism bearing the pattern of the unit cells and that the unit cells are constructed on the pattern of the atom. Experimental data which tend to support this requirement will be offered. 6. That the normal and the pathological phenomena of man and animals can be interpreted in electrical terms. Summaries of, of experimental researches undertaken to establish this point will be given. We may consider then that electricity keeps the flame of life burning in the cell and that the flame, oxidation, supplies the electricity which is the vital force of the animal. In accordance with this conception, therefore, the cell is an automatic mechanism. Life as we view it is the expression of the activity of this, of this automatic mechanism. If our conception is true, then among the positive or nuclear tissues, there must be a tissue of the highest potential of all. And since oxidation determines potential, we are justified on the basis of experimental studies and considering that the brain is the positive pole in the organism. According to this conception, the organisms of multicellular animals as a whole are wired up in innumerable circuits, the unit of which is the nerve cell and its projected nerve fiber. Having found that the charges and electrical conductivity were consistent with the bipolar theory, we then, by means of sensitive thermocouples, made simultaneous observations of the temperature changes in the various organs and tissues that might be concerned in energy transformation under the same normal and pathologic conditions as those studied in the foregoing conductivity experiments. We would expect to find that stimulation would produce opposite effects upon the temperature of the brain and of the liver and other relatively negative organs. Upon testing these assumptions, we found that the temperature of the brain was increased and that of the liver and other negative organs was decreased or unchanged in the acute stage of stimulation by emotion, by physical injury, by strychnine injection, by the injection of adrenaline, when the output of adrenaline was artificially increased by asphyxia in the excitant stage of either anesthesia, of ether anesthesia. We found by experiment that when the great circuit which energizes the organism was broken by the removal of the negative pole, the liver, the temperature of the brain steadily fell until death occurred. Also that when stimulants such as adrenaline were given, heat production, oxidation, within the brain, bereft of its negative pole was almost or entirely prevented. These observations on so fundamental a group of facts as the expected variations in temperature, 
and electric conductivity run parallel with another group, great group of observations, which are just as fundamental, but have a much larger chance of error. That electrochemical processes play an important role in the phenomena of life has long been held by biophysicists and physiologists. The similarity of the nerve or action current to an electric current seems to have been observed by the physicist as soon as the characteristics of the production and conveyance of electric currents began to be recognized. In 1835, a French physicist, Becquerel, included a section on the action of electricity on organic bodies in an experimental treatise on electricity and magnetism, and from the evidence he presents draws the conclusion. These facts are sufficient to show that electricity probably plays a great role in the animal economy, and that it should be included among the means whereby life is maintained in organized bodies. But in what way do these bodies, when they begin to develop, put into action this electric principle? whose action persists throughout their life. Of this, we are completely ignorant. This is, without doubt, one of the mysteries of creation, which man will never be able to fathom. Becquerel reports Galvani's experiments on the electric fish, which showed that when connection between the brain and the electric organ was broken, the fish could not deliver a shock a fact also established by Spallanzini. 1. We think, therefore, that the electricity is fabricated in the brain, under the control of the will. 2. In our opinion, the difference between the electric fish and other animals is that in the former, nature has placed organs designed for condensing the electricity, which emanates from the brain, augmenting its tension in such a way as to make of it, as it were, an offensive arm. Whereas in the latter, this same electricity has only the tension necessary to produce natural contractions and to accomplish the various functions which are expected of it. Becquerel not only believed that voluntary muscular action is due to electrical action, but he advanced the theory that the chemical changes within the organism are also due to electrical action. It is not enough to advance the opinion that the organic functions operate under the influence of electric forces. It is necessary also to try to prove this by showing that there can exist in the body electric currents which are capable of producing chemical changes. Of striking interest is the citation of researchers on the acid-alkali reactions of the body by Don who made the following conclusion. Electric currents exist in animals at the surface of the membranes and in the various organs. This theory rests on the principle that when two bodies, one acid and the other alkaline, are each one playing that role in their reciprocal reactions, are separated by a membrane, a multitude of electric currents continually work through this intermediary. Electricity acts in two ways within the animal economy. It may produce contractions 
and other derangements of the equilibrium of the organic parts, or it may control the chemical reactions, which either promote the secretions or are prejudicial to their production. Gotch and Horsley have shown that during electric stimulation of the cortex, causing muscular action of the leg, a sustained electromotive force is present in the spinal cord during the continuance of the stimulation. Not only did they demonstrate the presence of an electric wave, but they were able to also identify the conduction paths in the spinal cord over which this wave traveled, thus showing the intricate pathway along which the current found its way from the cortex to the muscles. Gotch and Horsley also demonstrated a persistent negative variation in the cord during electric stimulation of the Rolandic area. Howell states that when nerves of one kind are sutured to nerves of another kind, the reaction is determined by the N mechanism. And he states further that efferent nerves are like electric wires. The effect of their stimulation depends on the mechanism found at their ends. Since the infinite network of nerves, wires, and every reactive part of the organism shows that the electric control of the body processes, if such a control exists at all, is an all-inclusive control. Since in a bipolar mechanism, the electric current must flow from areas of higher to areas of lower potential, it is necessary to cite such facts as may tend to support the conception that the cells of the brain are the principal source of the electrical energy. And that coordinates the body and to show how the direction of the fabricated current is established. Clinically, the control of the body by the energy fabricated in the brain, which we believe to be electric energy, is indicated by the result of high division of the spinal cords, by the result of the paralysis of the motor end plates by curare by the result of the suspension of the activity of the higher brain centers by inhalation anesthesia, by the fact that when the supply of oxygen is cut off, no energy is created, and equilibrium or death follows. Any disabling influence whereby either the connection of the brain with a part of the body is broken, or the function of the brain is disabled or lost, renders the body helpless. The one essential role of the blood is a bipolar, in a bipolar mechanism would seem at first, though, to be only that of an oxygen carrier, of a medium of exchange between the nerve cells and the organs and tissues which supply the elements essential to their activity. Electric stimulation of the controlling nerve supply of the various voluntary muscles and of the various glands of the body makes these muscles and these glands do what the brain makes them do.